0: Present Tense Podcast by Green Bucket Press. A word from Green Bucket Press. Your life is a journey that is uncovered as you move across the continuum of time. In our new children's book, The Daring Egg*, we take a journey of reflection and discovery about what it means to be different and to explore the power of our inner landscape. The Daring Egg* features the gorgeous illustrations of artist Lynn Buchanan of Fairhope, Alabama. To explore and to order The Daring Egg* and other creative products by Green Bucket Press go to greenbucketpress.com backslash workshop For more information about Green Bucket Press and Present Tense Podcast please go to greenbucketpress.com And if you'd like to reach out to us on email please do so at инфоenбуcketpress. At
1: пойдем с тобой, красавчик, застенчивый чудак, пойдем с тобой подальше, В зеленый березняк, Собьемся так. Зачем я не лужайка? Почему я не лужок? Вся пушистая, как зайка Я б раскинулась вон, поглядя...
0: Of present tense podcast by Green Bucket Press. If you're lucky in life, you meet a person whose story gives you a new perspective. You meet a person whose intelligence radiates and permeates, a person of such humor to cause you to pause and consider while laughing, a person of such presence and depth of heart that you want to linger to hear more. Rita Feldman is such a person, and I am indeed lucky not only to know Rita as a friend, but also to have the opportunity to record her for Present Tense podcast. We are all living parts of history, each and every one of us. In Rita's story, we hear of how her mother came to the city of Tashkent in Uzbekistan, in 1941, German forces were invading the Soviet Union, and the Soviet government decided to evacuate millions of people, part of their human capital, into the interior of the country, where they would be safe. And Rita's mother was among the Russian-speaking people that made their way to the Muslim region that had been colonized by the Russians. Rita tells us of the power of the population of evacuees and the kindness of the Uzbeks to her traumatized family, most of whom had been killed. And then in the 1990s, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Rita was part of another relocation process, this time to Birmingham, Alabama. I met Rita in 1998. Our sons were at theater camp together, and they became friends. Their friendship brought Rita and me into a proximity that remains into the present. So thanks to Rita's son, Max, and to my son, Edward. On our website, greenbucketpress.com present-tense-podcast, You can see photos of Rita, find out more about her work doing family constellation therapy, and also watch a video of Rita performing Russian bard music. In this episode, we hear Rita singing and playing guitar as well.
1: de novo.
2: the film <laughs> uh, I am I I am and I hope I am Anne's friend I'm an emigrant from the former Soviet Union and since Anne asked me, asked me to uh, uh, tell my story to her I will try to To do it, though I may apologize for my vocabulary, which is not rich enough, and my heavy accent, which is rich enough. All right, and do you want to ask questions? Okay.
0: So, Rita, I had the good fortune of meeting you when our sons came to know each other at theater camp in Birmingham, Alabama. I felt instantly connected to you, and have known you, and loved you, and been astonished by you ever since. So I'm working on recording the stories of people. When we were talking last week, I realized that I really wanted to record your story. Can you talk a bit about your family background?
2: Alright, my mother uh, was born in the small uh, little town uh, in western Ukraine and it was the special town where a lot of Jewish families lived because, uh, you know, historically they uh, they were pushed very far into these little villages Uh, so they couldn't even get a high education in the big cities and so forth and uh, she was one she was the youngest of the six children in the big family and she um, was a student in some dental school something probably like uh, it's not a big dental school. It is like for dental assistant or something like that in a neighboring, um, neighboring little, another little town which had this school. And it was the time when uh, the Nazis, they started the war against Soviet Union. And the Western Ukraine became one of the first places they conquered. and. My mother's family became a, part of, became a part of the Holocaust, of course, on the victims' side. Um, her brother, her older brother, died in the first days of the war on the battlefield because he he was uh, drafted to the to the regular army, and uh, her her family, which are mother, father. Um, and uh, here, another brother and a little niece. They all were just killed by Nazis. Um, so, and they nobody knows where they buried, and nobody knows how exactly they were killed. But they just vanished, just like like thousands and thousands other Jews in this little. Uh, Ukrainian villages. Her, sis- her sisters already lived in different, in different cities all over the Ukraine, and uh, her older sister with uh, two little kids they, ca- they had the last, one of the last trains that could take people to the back of the country into evacuation she her her older sister, as a matter of fact she found the uh, only transportation she could find it was a big cistern like like not as big as the gas the cisterns which are bringing the gas to the gas stations but smaller one and my mother was sitting on the top of this cistern cistern uh, because uh, the cabin was occupied by the driver and her sister and two of her little kids so they caught one of the last trains and it took them to the very very far into Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan uh, was one of 15 Soviet republics and it became the real reserve for the uh, for the combatants for for the regular army because People there w- opened their arms for many, many people who were coming into the evacuation from the places in Russia, in Soviet Union, the, which were occupied, and uh, many, many different cultural uh, institutions were evacuated into Tashkent, which is the capital of Uzbekistan. Uh, that's why the, eventually the culture of my hometown, Tashkent, was so big and so extensive and so wonderful because it, has a, it had a history of museums, theaters, uh, biggest Russian writers and um, universities that were evacuated in, into the back of the country, into Tashkent. From the front of the country, which was conquered by uh, Nazis. Uh, So, my mother. So, let
0: me me just ask you this, Rita. So, your mother and remaining relatives were were, evacuated into Uzbekistan to Tashkent. Yes. What did they find when they arrived?
2: Uh, You know, the families, the Uzbek families, were extremely hospitable and they took. These people into their families. My mom, for many many years, she was rem- she was uh, telling me about this Uzbek family that just gave them the roof and the hospitality and was helping them. And so many, mm-hmm. all probably of the Uzbek families, they opened their arms toward these poor people. They di- came came to their down without any possessions my mom started my mom was about 16 back then and she and her sisters they started to work on the big plant or factory which was doing something for the front for the for the military and one awful day her sister became disabled because her arm was pulled into the big machine and was torn off her body. Fortunately, she managed to stay alive. But my mom, at the age of 16, became only breadwinner for the whole family. And uh, so, to the rest of her life, she was feeding everyone. Because she told me a story how, like, on the bus uh, she was she felt, I mean, unconscious because she, somebody was carrying the piece of bread and she could smell this bread and she just passed out because she was so hungry and her major major idea in life became to feed everyone else around her, making sure that no one is hungry especially especially her children so that's how they lived. the war uh, during the war in tashkent after the war she came back to ukraine to find that all of her relatives were killed i don't know exactly how but she met her first husband and they had my brother but her husband was was i mean he wasn't probably alcoholic, but he was drinking a lot. She divorced him, and I don't know if she met my father at Ukraine, or she went back to Tashkent, what was reason for her. It, somehow she met my father, and he lived in Tashkent, So, and they had me in Tashkent. My father's lineage is probably even more awful, because he... He is from Polish little town, and we all know what the fate of the polish Jews yeah. were yeah. was and he managed to escape into Soviet Union somehow in thirty nine being a young boy as well and uh, i don't know much about that time he didn't he didn't ever told me anything about it i I just recall from very young age, they mentioned some labor camp, so because he came to because the people who were escaping from Nazis from other countries they were they were put into the concentration camps, but he survived there, and he got i mean eventually he came out of there met my mother, who was his second wife as well. And with his first wife, he had three boys as well, so my half brothers. So um, and they started le- their life in Tashkent. That's the, that's the his family probably completely vanished. I don't know anything about about my grandfather, grandmother from from the Polish side. And as I learned eventually, when I started to get more into the spiritual. Uh, part of our lives uh, the fate of the family in, impact the offsprings tremendously I never had any idea how my ancestors who vanished in the Holocaust how much they influenced my life on the energetical level and I had no idea about it when I found out about it, a lot of things in my life they started making sense. So this is my story, and I lived in Tashkent, being pretty, like happy child. Um, I went I went to school. Uh, the only only big troubles in my life I remember it's my it's that my mother tried to feed me just up to my ears. And I remember this awful, this, like, a, it was like I was sentenced to this piece of, you know, let's say hamburger, though it called some, some, something differently. And she was standing above me saying, like, periodically, chew, uh, how do you do? swallow, chew, swallow, chew small <laughs> it was a cross of my childhood but I, I, I uh, was a very good student I uh, finished with all with all A's then I went to to uh, the uh, uni- you call it universities we call it institute to become a medical engineer uh, I mean chemi- chemical engineer I'm sorry And though I hated this profession from from the very beginning, but in this institute, it's Polytechnical Institute, I became an actress in their student theater. It's not because, you know, me and engineering are are sitting on such a a different parts of life. So like, um, so. I couldn't imagine that, that I would ever work as a chemical engineer. I could imagine myself to being an actress, but not a chemical engineer for sure. So I became an, I became an actress. We, we don't have like auditions for every, for every play like it is custom in U.S. We have a certain crew. Of people, a troop, a troop, a troop, right? Exactly, and we are choosing place according to our, you know, of the, of the content of, of of the people who are on, the, on this troop. So it was it was many years of wonderful, of wonderful creativity and relations and uh, friendship, which stays with us throughout our whole life. As a matter of fact, my best friends who moved to U- to U.S. eventually, they are from my theater as well. It's a couple, which are you know, like theatrical couple, husband and wife. Um, and after I finished, I realized that I still hate to be an engineer. And I went <laughs> and I went um uh, i became a student in our professional theatrical institute again we call it not universities but institute uh, and since uh, from my very young uh, years i was noticed in the n- not very liking authorities i, I somehow i always wasn't a pro- protesting mode uh, not all it's not always but I just I just cannot stand any unfairness and in the in, after a year of being in this professional theatrical school and after one case of extreme unfairness to someone else uh, from, the, from the master of our, of our group stu- student group and i raised my voice and i protect i kind of try to defend this person i was kicked out of this mm. school <laughs> <It's> <laughs> too bad but <laughs> but yeah it it yeah i have some problems with unfairness of authorities
0: and so rita at what point did you become a tour guide
2: after that, <laughs> because I was looking for some creative profession. After a few months of depression, after I was kicked out of this theatrical school, I started to try to find uh, the ways to express my, my just r- burning desire to say something to people, to communicate with them. And I went to the school for the tour guides, and I finished the school for the tour guides. And uh, um, I became very, very much appreciated tour guide, I'll tell you, because a lot of my tourists, they... I I took people to, I mean, I, I was giving them excursion in Tashkent, because we have... Tashkent is a very ancient city, more than 2000 years old. Have beautiful sightseeing. Also, I took them uh, along the Uzbekistan to other cities, which are really they are under the protection of UNESCO. A lot of a lot of sightseeing there. There is a lot of, of things to show in Uzbekistan. And at this point, I met a group of people who. Sing and play guitars and play and play the f- so-called we call it bard music. It's not your bluegrass. It's not exactly the folk music. It is very specific kind of of um, music which is started as unprofessional. People were writing the poetrys and writing the music for it themselves. And then, then performing now these people raised. I mean, they grew up to be completely professional uh, singers, songwriters, composers. So, uh, but back then it was, it was big and uh, young, and new for me. But the amazing movement of these bard songs in Russia. So the, I
0: the bard it, tradition was it. Were they protesting in their songs you or? know
2: that it started it started as protesting but also it was it was for example it was a, a lot of lyrics a lot of romantic songs but the main idea in these songs it is very rich lyrics from the either people who were writing these songs they became wonderful poets or they would take already existing amazing poetry because Russia of course has just a tremendous story of the literature in, and poetry and they would write the music for this. So it. we are talking about the virtuoso guitar players already.
0: Rita, what were people protesting in the early Protesting days? About,
2: about in this in these songs they were protesting about what wasn't in their opinion fair in in soviet union and i'll tell you that i'm pretty i was pretty naive young girl (laughs) very naive because now these days when i'm seeing how the propaganda is brainwashing most of the russian people now I realize how the propaganda, which was TV, which was a lot of newspapers, how they were brainwashing us. Because I honestly thought the dissidents are bad people; they are betrayer of the betrayers of the country. I was, I loved Soviet Union, and I didn't see many of the things which were seeing by much smarter and experienced people than me. First of all, in Tashkent, it was, you know, I didn't feel anti-antisemitism being a Jew, because as I said, Tashkent has a great history of friendship and love and open hearts. And we never, it never experienced any anti-Semitism, which people in other cities, like Moscow and St. Petersburg, they experienced a lot. So I never could understand why Jews are so trying to get out of the country, because I didn't have it in my life.
0: And what was the predominant culture in Tashkent?
2: It was, uh, first of all, we had Russian schools and Uzbek schools, where and we learned in russian schools which we're, speak- we were speaking in russian language we learned some some uzbek language and of course the history of uzbekistan and some uzbek literature in uh, and the uh, art in in uh, uzbek schools where they were studied studying in uzbek language we learned uh, Uh, They learned uh, Russian history and Russian language and Russian art and so and Russian culture. So it was pretty mixed up, but uh, we had we had tons of theaters. We had uh, our symphony. We had um, like I was taking my tourists to show them the the art of Uzbek and art of Ra- we had amazing museums, so cultural level was very, very high. And all of it was pretty much mixed up. Uh we didn't have any as I said till the Soviet Union fell apart, we didn't have any problems. I had a lot of friends among Uzbek guys.
0: So what changed?
2: When Soviet Union fell apart Soviet Union had 15 republics. Russia was the biggest of them. Then was Ukraine. And most of the people are Ukrainians. But there is always the mix of the people. Then Belarusians. The majority in Belarusians Belarusians. In, for example, Armenia, majority are Armenians. In Uzbekistan, majority were Uzbeks, which belongs to Turkish ethnic group, their native language is like Uzbek, which is like Turkey, Turkish language. And when uh, Soviet Union just gave birth to these 15 independent countries, in every country it was the question about the who will now get the power, because the power of the Moscow stopped above all of this local Powerful leaders of the country, so, and they started the war for a power. You know how the Churchill said, "It is the, it is the war uh, of the bulldogs under the <laughs> under the rug," and we we were a victim of this war because they started to blame every eh, blame people who were not Uzbeks, who spoke the Russian language. Because they said it's a national country, it's for us, for Uzbeks, that just our nationality should live here. And they started to push all others who spoke. It wasn't um, like Jews or or something, So it was people who spoke Russian. How they started to do it? They started to push them out of the country. They started to switch schools to just use back schools. They started even to switch computer programming (laughs) to use back language. They started to uh, uh, close Russian TV stations, uh, radio stations, newspapers, which were working uh, using Russian language. So, and people started to leave the country plus it was a groups of, of young uh, under people who could started to you know throw the rocks into into our backs or um, and screaming get out of our of our territory so it was it started to get pretty scary and people started to leave Uzbekistan, I mean Russian speaking people. Almost all of my friends they moved wherever they could. Uh, it was Russia itself, it was uh, Russian cities, I mean, uh, it was uh, Germany, Israel, and my brother he applied for the visa um, with American government and since Uzbekistan was such a hot spot, he was his family was given a visa as political refugees and when they arrived here, his family was sent was placed into Birmingham, Alabama because um, he came here through HIAS which is Jewish organizations that sponsored uh, like were buying the tickets, loaned the tickets for Jewish families. They helped the Jewish families to get out of the places where they were oppressed. So, they came here by hires, and through hires, and hires was distributing people to the uh, to the cities which were sponsoring them, and Jewish Federation of Birmingham just started sponsoring Jewish families, and that's, that's how my brother ended up in Birmingham, Alabama, which for me was devastating revelation.
0: Did you try to go to move somewhere else, Rita?
2: Um, we, first of all, we couldn't go anywhere else. They, my brother sent our papers to to Washington, to Department of Immigration and Naturalization. And uh, we couldn't go anywhere else but to here. And I cannot even describe you the level of the shock.
1: <laughs> I found
2: myself arrived, I mean, after arriving to Berlin actually it probably would be a shock if i would arrive to anywhere else um first of all i i didn't want to to move i was resisting as much as i could because by the time i already was deeply in the spiritual life in tashkent tashkent was the center the capital of the spiritual life of the whole uh, Central Asia uh, of the this this area of the Soviet Union. I already was a Reiki. Um, I mean, for people who don't know, Reiki is is the healing system which which is dealing with the um, energy the universal energy for healing people i was very deeply into the wonderful um kind of meditation which changed my my life once and forever um we lived our my group of people who i i I was taking the ushu which you call tai tai chi here and we had an amazing group of people who were experienced this feeling of highest love and highest what we we call it god's love It's a level of of unconditional love, which was so amazing I was just like immersed into this ocean of love which was around me by the time I already got married I had my uh, son who was three and a half and I, I thought and it became actually the truth that it will be a big tragedy for me to leave this amazing feeling and amazing happiness I had in my heart and move anywhere else because I thought about US as about the material true country so uh, I, I spoke I spoke English I learned I learned English of course with my in my school starting probably I don't remember exactly fourth maybe grade and then I learned English through my uh, institute, but it was mostly technical. And then I had a, uh, a year of tutoring, and I had an amazing tutor. He hammered, into m- he hammered the English grammar into my mind, so good.
0: Your brother filed papers yeah. for you to come to the U.S., so moving somewhere else in it was Russia,
2: my mother first of all she wanted to join to join my brother and since she mo- my mother was a crazy jewish mother she could she could bend according to her to her ideas about life she could bend everyone else around her just uh, to the way she wanted it to be i didn't think we could resist Anyhow, and we didn't have any anywhere to go. At least my brother already was was settled somewhere, so we thought it would be some kind of foundation. We learned it's not; it wasn't very big foundation because uh, they worked on the lowest possible work uh, jobs. They made the lowest possible wage, and. Uh, It was, it was pretty, uh, to me, it was pretty horrible. But I, I don't, I cannot even explain the level of cultural shock. Everything is so different. And my, I hated U.S. for many years. My, because I was completely confident that I came here from the best country in the world culture, Russian culture is great and I'm, as you probably can understand, I'm immersed into the cultural life. Russian spirituality, I mean, because I came from this group of people is the highest and and socialistic a way of living is the most fair way of living possible. Socialistic. That's my, socialistic. Sorry, my, this is my this is my mental background. I came uh, to this country with. Yes. My hatred started on the plane, uh, and I have to mention that uh, the nineties, because I immigrated in nineteen ninety three, was so poor and hungry. And because the economics after Soviet Union fell apart, the economics just completely fell apart. So the country became extremely hungry and very poor. On our, uh, at our farewell party, when people were, uh, were uh, keeping coming to say us, to say goodbye to us, to our family, at the end of the party, we didn't have anything to put on the table. Which was completely nonsense for my mother, because she
0: so everything in your house had been eaten
2: every yes, every right, eh, like almost i mean which could be cooked and eaten, so we couldn't we couldn't put anything on the table for the people, and I mean it was all over the country no, I Таня, говорить, работе, пере... да. When I was on the plane and I saw the menu they gave to us consisted of three choices of the f- of the meals, I just that's where the hatred started. I thought, gosh, why in my best in the whole world, country we are so hungry, and they are on the plane offering us three meals for of our choices. Another big, another big thing which I remember, and it was like a cornerstone of that, was the story with pineapples. We lived uh, in in my in Tashkent. We lived in we lived in the big like big like neighborhood when it was it was before the many years back it was the long house which eventually was divided by two two walls to three little houses. Was it a compound? It was like you, you, you said yeah I don't know exactly what is compound but imagine if you are townhouses but of course it wasn't townhouses it was it was tiny little Houses, they wouldn't wouldn't stay separately. They right, they have one they have one wall, but anyway, it was we were we were very close with our neighbors, but one of our neighbor's son, he was a scientist. He was invited to some some foreign country to uh, to lecture, and he brought from this country. He brought a pineapple. And we, as neighbors, we were given the piece of this pineapple to try. I thought I never in my life ate anything better than that. It was so delicious. They had the best memory. So here I'm coming into department store, and I'm seeing the the, uh, cans of these pineapples. In one can, pineapple sliced horizontally. In another can... Pineapple sliced vertically and in third can pineapple crashed. But this world was full of pineapples. And my yeah, my world, best world in in the whole world, was just starving without having any pineapples. And um I felt my Country so offended that I needed to protect it, and in my mind, this unlike unliking of US settled for many many years. I'm uh, not everyone is this way, I was just very dedicated. It depends on uh, how, how deep your roots are into your homeland. My roots, as I learned, were very deep. Especially in the Russian culture, which I was missing here tremendously. Plus, I always, I always, like, try to define the difference between American people and Russian people. I have to say that I was always surrounded by amazing people. Amazing. My friends, part of them are from my, uh, like, Outdoor trips, which are very special people other part is from the creative world of theater and music uh, the third part are just very selected people from my early childhood who are amazing people so very rarely in my life I met someone who is not wonderful you know in my my friends all are. Uh, joking about it because they are saying that Rita always <laughs> just in, in my in my uh, gradation you know uh, how I place people th- there is either he's genius he's amazing or he, I mean I don't deal with anyone else <laughs> either amazing or nobody <laughs> else because I love to see This is, I think it's a part of my personality. I love to see good in the people. And I think when you are bringing up great sides in the people, they are answering you just the same. They are showing you their wonderful side. Or if you see it is impossible, you just just step away from these people and you don't deal with them anymore. Because I am, I because I learn a lot of cosmic law and the spiritual law, and I never judge people. I understand that we all are on the on the very different steps in our uh, spiritual growth, and if somebody does something bad, awful, and so forth they are on the lower steps, they will grow through their other next lives. But you don't need necessi- you can give them a hand, but it's their I or I don't know. I'm not in position to give my hand from the you know, from the steps above. But I always know who I can deal with, who I cannot deal with. So and
0: you were saying though that that You partially had um, a negative view of being in the US because you were clinging to a positive view that where you'd come from was the best, even when there was evidence that possibly that wasn't as true as you had thought, so you clung to it even more strongly.
2: I start, I found, I found the uh, window of opportunity for me uh, to deal Closer with the Russian culture because I became like a local local person in Birmingham, Alabama, who is uh, uh, organizing the concerts for people from Russia, former former Soviet Union, who come here to perform their songs. So, plus I went, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of uh, feeding my cultural hunger by going back to Russia or Ukraine every year. We found amazing uh, residential camp in Crimea in Ukraine uh, near uh, near Azov Sea which was uh, the residential camp for the top uh, many many top creative professional creative people in Russia, for writers, songwriters, composers, plus they have uh, amazing atmosphere of love and friendship so i I went there for seven years. I took my son there it gave him such a jump start for his things he 's doing in in his life, and it it was kind of. It was kind of uh, balancing. Then I was coming to you to America to work and making some money for <laughs> for um, uh, my trips. My, my opinion about America changed a lot. It started changing radically in, nine, in 2014, when Russia openly started to do all of these horrible things. I learned to be personally responsible for my life. Versus in Russia, we have a very paternalistic point, I mean, views. You know, we relied on someone to uh, solve our problems instead of ourselves. And if in the beginning I was considering it the horrible side of life, so I'm just on my own. Nobody can help me if I if I'm not will get my ass up and do something. Then I I started to realize it is a benefit. Then nobody also because I'm becoming much more mature in my decisions and I think the responsibility for your own life it's a very good thing also I learned such thing as honesty (laughs) because see uh, back home where we, when we didn't have anything in our, or we didn't have any, many possessions, and to get anything in the stores, it, it meant to go through the tons of, of different uh, black mark, you know, like under the counter uh, communications, and bribes, and so forth. Here, and the, we don't consider it and we didn't consider it to be a, an honest we consider it to know people to know how to live where to get something how to how to get this, and, how, and it was considered to be very positive uh, quality of, in your of your of your uh, of the person here I learned that here I learned this simple but very Fundamental honesty. I'll tell you, this <laughs> the lit, just a little thing which happened yesterday. Yesterday I was I was in in some store and uh, I wanted to buy. It was a set of two pillows, which I wanted uh, to uh, it which didn't have the price on it. And I took it to the counter and it, and I had something else to buy to check out to check the price. She checked the price, and she counted the rest of my purchase. And she gave me the receipt. And I went, um, and on my way out, I thought, hmm, this receipt seems like sm- kind of small one. And I looked at the receipt and figure out she just checked the price of this, of this pillow set. But she didn't actually <laughs> check it out. And I had the second of the temptation just walk out and do no, and get these pillows with me. But I turned myself around and I went to the cashier and asked to to uh, check out these pillows because it was a mistake that she didn't do it. So and very satisfied by myself I went <laughs> I went out and this is small things which are becoming in your core. Because now in Russia the ability to lie not to lie, how to I don't know this word probably. To do something bad to your partner in business or to, to take how how do you formulate it when you're to are con To con yeah I don't know this from cunning? Yeah.
0: No not con not cunning. But to con, which is to trick someone, to trick
2: someone, yes, it considered to be a, you know, very, ve- you consider to be a good businessman.
0: I think that's also pretty prevalent here, Rita, at certain levels. At certain business.
2: levels, yeah. not on the small levels, when because some very often I, I I learn how to trust people in such things, if if my client forgets the check. I'm just giving, I'm just giving her my address, and she eventually sends me the check. No, uh, it was, it was no one time when people just uh, took advantage of me, and they didn't, didn't pay, because I'm very trusty, and uh, uh, the life in America is so, is created so much for the people, for people you probably don't even know uh, don't even uh, realize how much in this country is created for people the one of the examples is your infrastructure because i travel a lot and when you when you see the gas station like uh, on every single mile and in this gas station you have a a clean a restroom and uh, all what you need to buy if you if you need something, starting from from some medicines to to anything for your car and so forth. It is it is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, also, these pineapples in a different in a different kind of slicing. It's it's another like symbolical thing. But Russia is changed in this in the material. Um, the Russian material life changed a lot now because they, they have a lot in their stores, probably just as much as you have here. When they started this horrible propaganda on the Russian TV, and they zombied most of their, most of their uh, population, they started, they made people to think again, that Rush, Russia became completely imperialistic. It it just puts in the people's minds that Russia is surrounded by enemies, that, uh, of course, it is the best country in the world, it's most fair, and the president is the best president in the whole universe. And I'm just... They have not, most of the people. They have not seen any other country. They have not seen life in the other countries. This they, is
0: sounding a little bit familiar, Rita.
2: It, like in Soviet Union?
0: No, like in the U.S.
2: Like in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different. It's a different level. Yeah, it's like.
0: <laughs> uh, so I want to ask you a question. When you lived in Tashkent you my understanding is that you were raised in the society without religion
2: completely without your religion.
0: jewishness but
2: right completely soviet union and, was atheistic true country
0: and so your son went to a jewish day school here yes just and, and can you just talk to me about your relationship with, with being religion jewish and how that's changed
2: um, you know, I knew that uh, from my background, I knew that being Jewish, it's like ethnicity, like being Japanese or Hungarian or Jewish. We didn't have any of the religion was just squeezed out from the people by the 70 years of, of communistic party being, uh, having a power in Soviet Union. My, spirit, my belief system started with me started dealing with this energy field when I realized there is something besides a physical material life that we can touch by our hands so when I started to heal people after I became Reiki it was the day when I started to believe in God I don't know what exact God but just in God and here since we were sponsored by the Jewish organizations and it was very natural they gave Max my son scholarship to go to Jewish day school I mean we it, it became very natural that we were like we had to go to to the synagogue but I, I accepted Jewish religion Though I'm not in it completely, I respect it a lot. One of my friend, friends, who became a Hasid when he was 49 years old, and also he is one of the most amazing theatrical di- directors in Russia, and I met him in U.S., he opened my eyes on the Jewish religion because he is completely dedicated. Uh, orthodox jew and he put into my heart big respect for the jewish religion and i am i'm observing some holidays but actually my views are much broader than one religion i just believe in one universal power for everyone and i think it's my personal idea that all the religions were brought to the people by the masters like Jesus Christ by the big teachers like Moses like Muhammad like of course Buddha because they were brought to different places on the earth according to maybe their you know readiness for accept such and such belief system
0: so you've recently, in the past few years, really grown from being a host or a manager for artists coming to Birmingham, and you've really moved into the realm of being a singer uh, and guitarist yourself. So can you talk about God manifesting in your in your life as an artist?
2: I'll tell you that. Supreme power can give you, can give you the uh, the capability or abilities to do something, but to get it to the stage, in my, in my case, it requires a lot of work, and uh, I, I love to sing, and I, I, I'm doing better and better. I have a wonderful teacher in Birmingham, and also I'm I started to take lessons from the wonderful Russian teacher, online, unfortunately, because she is not here. It takes a lot of work to bring to life what God, to manifest, <laughs> as Anne said, to manifest, you need to work, to manifest something, you need to be in it, you need. and smiling. (laughs) She probably knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) She does. I was helpless in the American life and sometimes I would do just unacceptable things which I didn't even realize are unacceptable. It was a story of how I started to do massages uh, Using the olive oil because I I know the olive oil which I never tried even I never did I never even dreamed to try it being like living in Tashkent we just we just could we just heard heard of this oil because it's best oil in the world and then here I had my I feel I I became a massage therapist completely my own I couldn't I couldn't ask anyone question because I didn't have any massage therapist in my in uh, surrounding I mean uh, near me so and I went to the store and I saw this these shelves full of the pure olive oil I bought the olive oil and I started to do my massages on the olive oil instead of any of this wonderful uh, oh beautifully god. smelling creams or other aroma oils and I remember my first client who was just looking back where I was massaging his back and smell it what are you using here and I said pure olive oil he just went oh my god <laughs> but I figured out that I need to wipe him because before he will put his clothes on so I got the paper towel (laughs) and very thoroughly wiped his back with the paper towel. I mean, uh, of course I've never seen him again
0: (laughs) in my life. Rita, you told me that when you first came to the United States you were very uh, thrown off by how much people smile in the US yeah, Can you and, talk it, about that? and it
2: was and it seems so artificial because people in Russia they used to smile just when they have something behind this smile when they really uh, like to do to see you when they when they are very when they are happy to see you otherwise they wouldn't smile that's why for foreign uh, tourists, for example, uh, coming to, to uh, Russia, people seem very, very, you know, sad because they are not smiling toward you. Now I very much appreciate this smile, though I know probably nothing is behind it. But it, it, it of course, it, is, it gives you the, some kind of credit in the communication with this person that they are not doing any harm to you they're not going to do any harm you know recently i was uh i was dealing with uh some uh group of people who came here for maccabi games it's big jewish games so i volunteered to take them uh shopping on their last day and uh, so we were, uh, we all were spreaded all over the gallery. So I was supposed to pick them up at a certain store, and when I came to pick them up at nine o'clock at night, one one girl, one one, I mean young young lady, she was standing already outside, and other people were still inside the store coming out, and she told me that she was standing here for fifteen minutes, and four different cars they stopped ask her if she is not if she's not in troubles how they can help her and maybe she said never she, they are from Ukraine but the mentality is still Soviet mentality and she said i nobody ever would come to me if, if I would stand somewhere in the dark alone asking how they can help me unless they have something different in their minds you know so, and and uh, so she was very impressed and here, it is a very common thing. The common thing is to let somebody uh, before, your, before yourself in the line to the cash register. If they have a uh, couple of things and you have the whole, whole cart uh, to check out. Uh, and uh, it doesn't mean that in Russia they have bad intentions, but they are ready to fight. They could be ready on the streets somebody will get into their pocket and steal the your wallet or something they are ready uh, how on the streets at least not in their probably little circles but the pes- what what the pessimism I would say not the skepticism uh, in russian uh in what, and sadness, which is the part of the Russian soul. It, of course, came from the Russian history. Russian history is the history of the blood and and uh, slavery of one of the, you know, of the unfairness, it is. Um, It's a very harsh history. Um, And of course, you know, and...
0: You can hear that Rita just asked me to turn off the tape. And I did. So this is where the formal recorded interview ends. Rita wanted to talk to me about current events and about Vladimir Putin and she did not want it to be recorded. To see photos of Rita and to watch Rita performing, please go to greenbucketpress.com backslash present-tense-podcast. To listen to other episodes from our first season, you can subscribe to Present Tense Podcast on iTunes or listen online at greenbucketpress.com backslash present-tense-podcast. Your purchase of Greenbucket Press products helps to support this podcast. To see our voice book writing journals, published books, and creative merch, Go to our online store at greenbucketpress.com backslash workshop. Would you like a fantastic facial or massage? Check out Rita's HealingTouch.com. Thanks to cellist Craig Haltgren for our theme music.